This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 9th of August 2021. Australians, are you hearing us? Yes, well, we say a daily podcast. We didn't get an episode out on Friday, or it came out very late because of some IT troubles at the ABC. Thank you to all the people, the many people who wrote in asking if we were okay. We are, and I feel very loved, Norman. Yeah, yeah, we did have one ready to go, but the world collapsed, at least the technological world collapsed. We could still have got it on ABC Listen app. So if you've got a problem in the future, just go to the ABC Listen app. It'll be there. It's reliable. Exactly. And so here we are again on Monday. And Norman, it's been a weekend. It it feels like we say that every Monday, but we've had cities coming out of lockdown. We've had cities going into lockdown. Brisbane came out of lockdown um, last night, but we've seen Cairns go into lockdown. That's up where I am in um, Queensland. But of course, Melbourne has gone into a lockdown over the last few days and then regional New South Wales, local government areas. So I guess what we're really seeing is this new era of short, sharp lockdowns that uh, the National Cabinet agreed to a week or so ago. Yes. Well, they didn't quite agree to it, but they agreed that that was going to be the way forward. And they landed on a point which they've never landed before is that it was a legitimate way forward and probably the most effective way forward. Uh, And just cementing in reality what had been happening in most other states other than New South Wales. It's happening in New South Wales in the regional areas, but not in the city. They're still chasing their tail in Greater Sydney. Um, You saw the area around Penrith, the LGAs around Penrith in the far west of the greater metropolitan area going to the that more severe stage of lockdown. But that was really following the spread in there rather than being in advance of the spread. So you still get a sense from Greater Sydney that they're chasing their tails with lower performance contact tracing, not the fault of contact tracers, but just simply because of the number of cases. But in other places like Melbourne and Queensland getting ahead of it, although in Melbourne they did have a worrying day, I think it was on Saturday, where they had 29 cases, which surprised a lot of people. Yeah, like on one hand, we could see Brisbane's eight-day lockdown where there was a lot of cases, it's come under control, and now we've lifted as a success story. But then, like you say, Melbourne had a short, sharp lockdown, lifted it, things were looking really good, and then they've had to go back into lockdown again because of this cluster associated with the school there. Is it better to sort of deal with this whiplash of constantly going in and out of lockdowns, or is it better to just have longer lockdowns? Just uh, go onto the streets of New South Wales if you can find somebody and ask them, and they will say short, sharp, I'm sure. Um, We are in New South Wales, which is where I'm broadcasting from, is we're facing an indefinite uh, lockdown, which is going to be hard to see when we come out of it. And while in Victoria yesterday there were cases who were out in the community and not in quarantine, It's a small number of cases and contact tracing should get on top of those. The landscape is so different in Greater Sydney to anywhere else. Like a short, sharp lockdown is allowed to be short and sharp because the idea is that you go into it to deal with a small number of cases. Of course, Sydney is a different conversation. What are the ways out that are being discussed at the moment? Well, the Premier seems to have changed her uh, language and is no longer talking about getting back to zero spread and talking about having to learn to live with uh, COVID-19. And I think it's just the reality of day after day with uh, high numbers of cases and high numbers of cases circulating in the community. And Sydney's got exactly the problem, although it's a very different set of circumstances in Sydney this year, in their second wave from Melbourne last year, it's going through very similarly structured suburbs where there's a degree of poverty, disadvantage, different cultural groups, not necessarily speaking English as a first language, multi-generational households, 
and it's just not coming under control in those areas, but it's spreading elsewhere in the city. So part of the conversation of getting New South Wales or Greater Sydney out of lockdown is the idea of vaccines playing a role in that. And we've heard over the weekend that Moderna, the vaccine that's similar in technology to Pfizer, it's another mRNA vaccine, could be approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration within the next couple of weeks. And could be get, we could be getting a million doses of it mid-September and then millions of doses in the following months from that. That's fantastic. But that's still weeks away. It's still weeks away. Um, It's a very good vaccine. It's just pretty much just as good as the Pfizer vaccine. And it's great that we've got that coming through and adding to um, our our stock. And particularly good news because it looks as if we've got problems with the Novavax vaccine. Supply problems. Yeah, it's not the fault of the government. It's just they seem to be having big problems with their manufacturing. They appear to have lost their funding from the United States government about uh, about manufacturing, which suggests a loss of patients. The story is not entirely clear, but it looks very unlikely that we're even going to get Novavax at the beginning of next year. We'll just have to wait and see. Before we go on from that, it's not problems with the vaccine itself or safety or anything like that. It's a it's a manufacturing problem that's happening at the company level. It appears to be that, yes, manufacturing to scale. The, the clinical trials showed very good results. So with that delay that you were talking about, going back to your question, The question then is to people who are saying, well, I'm just going to hang on here. I'm not going to get the Astra. I'm going to wait till Pfizer. Just let me remind you here about the calendar. If you get Astra today, you're covered against, fully covered against severe disease against the Delta by mid-September. Because the interval between vaccines is now, what, six or eight weeks? Four weeks. Four weeks. It's actually, you know, we're encouraged to get it from four weeks. So you've got very good coverage against severe disease within four weeks if you got it this week particularly appealing to the over 60s to get out there and get Astra into your arm. Now, if you're over 60 and waiting for Pfizer, you could well be behind the queue in terms of waiting behind 30-year-olds who are going to be prioritised with Pfizer and waiting even longer than that. But let's assume, for example, you're 30 or 40 and hanging in there and you're in the middle of an outbreak in Victoria or New South Wales or Greater Sydney and you're waiting for the Pfizer, you might not get the Pfizer till the end of September, which means it's towards the end of October, if not even a bit longer than that, if you've got a six-week gap between doses, to be fully immunised. So you could be waiting another couple of months when you actually could be covered within a month if you've got the Astra now. So it's another reason for seriously considering Astra, no matter what your age is, if you're in the middle of an outbreak. Yeah, especially for those people in places where there is an outbreak, you could catch it this month. Like, if you can be vaccinated this month, then get vaccinated this month. Yeah, and talking about living with COVID, we are going to have to learn to live with COVID, but it's on a knife edge in New South Wales. And really, we want to rush to a point where we've got very high percentage of people in New South Wales covered so that you can see the extent to which it does both bend the curve and actually reduce hospitalizations and deaths, which is what you would expect. And so you might get to a point in New South Wales, we've said this before in CoronaCast, where you might be getting two or three hundred cases a day, but very little hospitalization and very few people in ICU. And that's the point you say, well, we actually could live with this. Now, Western Australia or Victoria or or other states might not agree with this and wall off, continue to wall off New South Wales. But New South Wales could progressively open up with high vaccination rates. and But when that's going to occur is, is an open question. You certainly will not be able to open up with about 56% coverage, which is what 70% equates to, because as you've seen in Britain, that's just not enough of the population and we'll get a massive spike of people ending up in hospital and in ICU because we haven't got enough people covered. 
Well, it is great to hear that we are we are vaccinating people at record levels at the moment and different states are coming up with new creative ways to get those vaccines out as efficiently as possible. Victoria's just opened a state hub where you can go to get AstraZeneca and there's a GP there that you chat to as part of your appointment. You can have that discussion with them, raise any concerns, because I know that some people have had difficulties trying to find their own GP to talk to to then have that vaccine. Yeah, it's a great idea. And drive-through vaccine hubs are in at least one spot as well, Norman. Yeah, there's no one way of doing this, but convi- a lot of people are not getting it because they're finding the website hard to deal with and the booking system clunky or they've heard that it's clunky. It may not be that clunky and they're just put, put off with that. Whereas if you can have walk-in clinics, pharmacists are going to be are, are very important here, particularly in disadvantaged areas because there's probably more disproportionately more pharmacists in those areas than GPs, driving clinics, just take the vaccine to the people and make it as easy as possible. That's the way to get maximum number of doses. People are not truly hesitant here. Convenience is a big factor. Yeah, Holly Seal from the University of New South Wales, who studies vaccine hesitancy, has talked about the fact that ease of access and accessibility are just as important. When we're talking about hesitancy, it's not that people maybe are unsure, it's just that it's too hard or it's just... Yeah, it's hard. Whereas if you know you can walk around the corner and get it and you don't have to and you don't have to you don't have to book an appointment, it's just gonna be much easier. So Norman, let's take some questions and this one from Matthew is on vaccines. Um we've spoken about a study that indicated that Pfizer is eighty eight percent effective at preventing symptomatic disease. Matthew's asking, does that mean that the remaining twelve percent if they do get symptoms, they're also likely to be less severe. No, it's a full spectrum. So there's twelve. There's a 12% gap there. Maybe this is an average, so it hides a lot of detail. But if you want to be crude about it, there's 12% of people who can get symptomatic disease. And within that 12%, it's the full range. It's from mild through to severe. That 12% are, are, are not covered against symptomatic disease, but they're not all going to get severe disease. Many of them will just get mild disease. So it's an average. A better way to look at it is 90% of people plus for both Astra and Pfizer are protected against severe disease that's liable to end up in hospital, ICU or dying. It's a lesser percentage for milder disease. Right. So that 12%, they, there's still people in there who could get severe disease, but it's a lot smaller proportion of the population than if no one's vaccinated. That's right. But it is the full range of symptoms. So it's not all getting severe disease. It's 12% get some symptom or other. So we're talking like it could be a really small sniffle or it could be ICU, but that proportion of people is smaller. Yeah, and the chances of a small sniffle are higher than ending up in ICU. It's a very small percentage who end up in ICU who already got the, who've already had the vaccine. Very small indeed. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. We promise we'll try at least to be back in your feed tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>